Let us turn in our Bibles to our text today as it's found in Daniel chapter 2, verses 41 through 43. Daniel chapter 2, verses 41 through 43. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Skeptics have long attacked the inspired book of Daniel, particularly the prophetic accuracy found in the book of Daniel. Thus, uh, skeptics falsely claim it is actually not prophecy of future events that are found in the book of Daniel, but rather simply a recording of historical events that have already occurred. They claim it was not Daniel that wrote, in fact, the book, but someone much later about 500 years later, in about 160 BC, that wrote, concerning the empires of Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. The most troubling part of the book of Daniel for skeptics is the prophetic accuracy that is revealed in it concerning things that are yet to come from Daniel's perspective and time. And so their goal is to remove the prophetic portions of Daniel in which the all-knowing, sovereign God gives Daniel knowledge of what he has planned for the future. But skeptics must also take into account that there are prophecies in the book of Daniel that far exceed the time of the Maccabean War, which was about 160 B.C., which is also prophesied to occur in the book of Daniel. But there are events that are prophesied in the book of Daniel that that come much later than the Maccabean conflict. For example, 
the Roman Empire in its strength, in its power, in its iron-like crushing of the nations. Like the division of the Roman Empire into ten kingdoms. <clears throat> like the rise of a little horn at the time of these ten kingdoms, namely the Papal Antichrist. Like the advent and ministry of Jesus Christ, even to the exact year that he began his ministry. And like the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD. In fact, Jesus mentions that Daniel prophesied the desolation that would befall Jerusalem about 600 years before Jerusalem was destroyed. In Matthew 24, verses 15 through 16, Jesus said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. This is a prophecy that we'll be looking at, the destruction of Jerusalem, when we get to Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 through 27. Thus the skeptics fail to remove the, the, the prophetic accuracy of the book of Daniel. And God glorifies in the book of Daniel his omniscience. He glorifies his sovereignty over all of history that he raises up kingdoms, that he puts down kingdoms. The fulfillment of prophecy, dear ones, in history confirms our faith in all of scripture. If the prophecies made in the book of Daniel were not fulfilled, we would not merely have to throw out the book of Daniel, we'd have to throw out all of the Bible. All of the Bible hinges upon what is said in one book. It is a cohesive unit inspired by God that where one portion were to fail, then the whole portion fails. But on the other hand, where we see continual confirmation and accuracy of prophecies, it builds our faith and our trust in the fact this is indeed the inspired word of God. And we can place our life, we can place all that we believe in this, our God who has revealed himself in his word. The main points for the sermon today are the following. The unity of the Roman Empire, first of all. Second, the division of the Roman Empire, and third, the application to us. So first of all, the unity of the Roman Empire. Look with me, verses 33 and 40. Speaking of this image, verse 32 says, this image's head was of fine gold, 
his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, verse 33, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay, his legs of iron. Then notice in verse 40, which was the text uh, from the previous sermon uh, on the book of Daniel. Verse 40 says, And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. So we have been considering King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation that God miraculously gave to Daniel. The king dreamed, as you recall, of this enormous human image that was composed of different metals from the head down to the feet of this image. The head of gold was the Babylonian kingdom. The arms and chest of silver was the Medo-Persian kingdom. The belly and thighs of brass was the Grecian empire or kingdom. The legs of iron was the united Roman kingdom to be followed by feet and toes of a mixture of iron and clay, which is the divided Roman kingdom, which we will be spending most of our time looking at today. These same four kingdoms we've noted that are mentioned in uh, in chapter two by way of metals and this human Im image are are repeated. These four kingdoms are repeated, uh, but using a different. Uh, Symbol, different uh, beasts, uh, different creatures representing each of these kingdoms that are mentioned in chapter 2 of Daniel, are mentioned in chapter 7 of Daniel. In the previous sermon on this portion of Daniel's prophecy, we considered <clears throat> the fourth kingdom of Rome both as to its strength that crushed everything in its path and as to its unity and peace that could not be broken into, pe uh, into pieces uh, for a period, uh, extended period of time of at least 200 years, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The Roman Empire is likewise signified, as we considered in the previous sermon as well, signified in the book of Revelation by this terrible beast that arises from the sea, having seven heads and ten horns in Revelation 13.1. Where John says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, and ten horns. We noted last time that the seven heads represent seven successive forms of government that ruled over Rome. 
the first head of the beast, was the rule of kings over Rome. The second head of the beast was the consuls that ruled over Rome. The third head of the beast was the council of ten that ruled over Rome. The fourth head of the beast was the military tribunes that ruled over Rome. The fifth head of the beast was the dictators that ruled over Rome. The sixth head of the beast was the emperors that ruled over Rome. And the seventh head of the beast was the patricians or fathers that ruled over Rome for a very short period of time. We also noted in the last sermon from Daniel, one of the heads of the beast received a deadly wound in Revelation 13.3, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Which of the heads was wounded? Well, it was, I believe, the sixth head of the beast that was severely wounded, that received a deadly wound, which represented the emperors of Rome, the emperors of Rome as a head came to an end in 476 AD in the Western Roman Empire when Emperor Romulus Augustus was deposed by the barbarian king Odoacer. For 277 years, no emperors reigned over the Western Roman Empire. However, after the very short rule of the patricians, that was the seventh head, after the rule of the patricians, which was only for about seven years, or, or I'm sorry, for about uh, 17, looking at my figures here, 47 years, short reign of 47 years from 753 to 800 AD, after that time, the deadly wound of the sixth head of emperors was healed. When Charlemagne was crowned emperor of the revived Roman Empire by Pope Leo III. So this was basically review, but I think in order to delve into the division of the kingdom, we have to again remember the unity of the kingdom and the strength of the kingdom of Rome. There was an unsurpassed strength and an unsurpassed unity in Rome until the collapse and deadly wound of the sixth head, that of emperors in 476 AD. And that is signified in this image this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of this enormous image, it is signified by the legs of iron. Legs of iron uh, that are strong, that are mighty, that it cannot be broken into pieces. Uh, so both its unity and 
its strength are depicted by those legs of iron in that united Western Roman Empire. But as Daniel now moves to the bottom portion of the, uh, of the image, the feet and the toes are not of pure iron, but are of a mixture of iron and clay. And so now we turn to our second main point, the division of the Roman Empire. And that is the portion of our text that we have already read in Daniel chapter 2, verses 41 through 43. There are two notable points about the feet and the toes in this image. Uh, the first notable point is this, that the feet and the toes do not have <coughs> either the unity or the strength that was represented in the legs of iron of Rome, but rather are a composite of both iron and clay, brittle clay, clay that has been hardened. In other words, something in history transpired to break down the unity and the strength of the mighty Western Roman Empire. And that's what we want to look at in our text today. This, this stage of the Western Roman Empire is characterized by division, not by unity. In Daniel 2.41, we read, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, not unified, as was the case in the legs of iron, but now divided. Furthermore, in verse 43, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Not unity. This mingling themselves with the seed of men means that what had been unified Western Roman uh, Empire <clears throat> would become an intermingling and mixture of kingdoms of other languages, of other laws, of other constitutions, of other customs that were not a part of the original legs of iron. This would bring division in the once unified empire of Rome. In the three previous kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, there was a unity, as there was in Rome at one time. Conquered nations were brought under the rule of these unified kingdoms. They did not divide these kingdoms. When they conquered people, the nations or the kingdoms were not divided by conquering these nations, these other nations. It was the culture, it was the, uh, it was the language, 
it was, again, the laws uh, of each of these kingdoms that prevailed uh, over the entire empire. However, when we get to our text today, we see in this mingling themselves with the seed of men, we see that what is happening is that <clears throat> kingdoms migrated, kingdoms invaded the Western Roman Empire and brought independent governments to rule where there had been essentially one Roman government ruling over all. The feet and the toes of iron and clay also speak of not only disunity, but also speak of weakness as well. Not the strength of the former Western Roman Empire. Notice in Daniel 2, 41b, But there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, verse 42, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Partly strong and partly broken. <clears throat> because what had been the mighty Western Roman Empire was divided among many different kingdoms it did not have the strength that it once had. How could it possibly have the strength that it once had when what is portrayed here is iron mixed with hard clay? Does that portray strength or does that portray weakness? It would be, as we see in verse 42, partly strong, at times like iron, but also partly broken, like brittle clay. Apparently, this means that some of these kingdoms in the once mighty Western Roman Empire that had intermingled within that Western Roman Empire will at times show great strength, like iron, and at other times be weakened, like brittle clay. But they will not be able to adhere as they once did, all under the rule of Rome. There would be not an uh, ongoing strength of iron like Rome of old, but due to war, due to conquest, due to, again, the division into separate kingdoms, there would, again, be that disunity and there would be that weakness. The second notable point about the feet and toes of the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the first point was uh, its disunity and its weakness. The second notable point is this, is that we learn here that and have a hint as to the number of foreign kingdoms that divided and weakened the Western uh, Roman Empire. For it is implied that there are ten toes. It mentions the feet and the toes, and uh, 
as uh, ordinarily there are 10 toes uh, upon two feet, that we can again assume that though it doesn't specifically mention 10 toes, that there were 10 toes. And so we find here a hint that's implied that there are 10 kingdoms that infiltrate and invade the once glorious, mighty, powerful Western Roman Empire. Just as we'll get to Daniel 7 uh, in time to come, but in Daniel chapter 7, upon the fourth beast, which is Rome, uh, that beast, as well as in Revelation 13, as we've already read, that beast has ten horns, which represent, uh, according to Revelation 17, 12, ten kings or kingdoms. <clears throat> Carefully note that in Revelation 17, 12, it says, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet. Now that's significant. It tells us, first of all, how many kingdoms were to uh, tear down the unity of that uh, Roman, Western Roman Empire, and how many were to make it weak. But it also says something about the fact that they had not yet received power to rule. In other words, when John was writing the book of Revelation, they had not yet received power to rule as kingdoms. That was yet to come. So we, we have a hint here as to the number of kingdoms and the fact that these kingdoms were not yet ruling at the time that John wrote the book of Revelation. They would be coming thereafter. So the question is, who are these ten toes or these ten horns? And where do they appear in history in fulfillment of this prophecy? Well, we know concerning these kingdoms, we know they come into the Western Roman Empire that is, from the legs of iron, we descend to the, the feet and the toes of that composite of iron, iron and clay. So they follow that united Roman Empire. We know they, they divide the unified Western Roman Empire. We know they weaken the once great strength of the Western Roman Empire, as we have already seen. And we know that they had not come to power as kingdoms until after the time of the Apostle John, and finally we know that there are 10 of them. Who fits historically these prophetic facts? I submit to you the barbarian kingdoms that infiltrated the Western Roman Empire prim primarily in the 5th and 6th centuries A.D. fulfill this prophecy. 
I submit the implied ten toes in Daniel 2 and the explicit ten horns in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17 are the ten barbarian kingdoms that brought disunity and weakness to the once unified and, and mighty Western Roman Empire. And these are those ten kingdoms, barbarian kingdoms, the, the Hurriuli, Ostrogoths, and Lombards occupied various parts of present Italy. The Visigoths occupied what is presently parts of Hungary, Austria, Croatia, and Serbia. The Suevi occupied what is presently Spain and Portugal. The Franks occupied what is presently France. The Burgundians occupied various parts of Europe at different times including Scandinavia, Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and northern France. The Anglo-Saxons occupied what is presently Britain. The Vandals occupied what is presently part of Italy. And the Alemanni occupied what is presently Germany. These were the ten main barbarian kingdoms that infiltrated the Western Roman Empire, divided it, and weakened it, and did not receive their kingdom until after John had penned, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Revelation. Now we will have much more to say about uh, these ten Kingdoms. When we get to, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter seven, when we address the ten horns upon the beasts, for there we find that there are ten horns. We find that three are subdued. Three of the horns are subdued before a little horn, and we will be learning again how uh, history is fulfilled, uh, how accurate prophecy is that those three kingdoms. Uh, fell at the very time that that little horn, the papal antichrist, uh, uh, came to uh, power, uh, uh, came to exercise <coughs> such power uh, from the city of Rome. But for now, uh, we have identified in history the feet and the toes of the great human image that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar in that dream, and which Daniel interpreted by the supernatural knowledge that was granted to him by the Lord. The prophetic revelation of the ten toes, of the ten horns, however, does not end in the fifth and the sixth centuries by way of their infiltration and their invasions into the Western Roman Empire, there is much more, as we said, there is much more to say about them. In fact, we'll be saying more about them uh, in the next sermon because we're going to be talking about this stone that was cut out without hands from the mountain 
uh, which is the kingdom of Christ, the coming of Christ, the kingdom of Christ established. And where does this stone strike the image? Does it strike the image in the head? Does it strike the image in the arms and the chest? Does it strike the image in the belly and the thighs? Does it even strike the image in the legs? That of a unified Rome, no. It strikes the image in the feet. The feet. The feet that are composed of both iron and clay. There is where the image is struck and the in image is toppled and ground to dust. And there it is that that stone grows and grows and fills the whole earth. And so we'll be talking about the fulfillment of that as well, which brings again, because we're talking about it striking in the feet, which is again the toes are included. We'll be talking further about the ten toes, the feet and the ten toes uh, in the next sermon. But uh, we'll have many opportunities to address this in future sermons through the book of Daniel. So though there is much more to say about uh, these ten kingdoms, uh, we will stop there today and move on to some application from our text. In looking at Revelation chapters 8 through 9, and we won't read those right now, but you can do so uh, sometime this week. In Revelation chapters 8 through 9, there we see the Lord Jesus pours out his trumpet judgments upon the Christianized Roman Empire. The trumpet judgments are, are poured out upon the Christianized Roman Empire. Christian in name, nominally Christian, not faithful in their doctrine and worship, government, not faithful in following Jesus Christ, but they have a name. They have a name. But those judgments are poured out by Christ upon the Roman Empire, both the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. In trumpet judgments 1 through 4, that is in Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 through 13, those are poured out upon the Christian Roman empire in the west its capital at Rome by means of the barbarian invasions bringing to an end its unity its strength due to the church of Rome's perversion of the true religion doctrine worship and government that Christ has taught us in his word. We ought not to think that as we have just looked at Daniel 2 and have looked at 
the legs of iron and descending from that feet and toes of iron and clay that this just happened for no reason. This happened, these invasions, these barbarian invasions into the Western Roman Empire were God's judgment. Christ's judgment that he brought for the backsliding, the perversion, the corruption of Christ's truth that's found in scripture. Likewise, trumpet judgments five through six, which are covered in Revelation chapter nine, are poured out upon the Eastern Roman Empire by means of the Muslim invasions, the Saracen, the Turk invasions, and bring to an end the unity and the strength of that Eastern Roman Empire, whose capital was in Constantinople. And that was due, again, the judgment was due to the Eastern Orthodox Church's perversion of the true religion, doctrine and worship, and government of the church was taught by Christ in his word. There was, these were mighty kingdoms. These were kingdoms that had existed for hundreds of years, thousand years. And churches that had existed for hundreds of years that God judged, that Christ judged in history. Why? For their corruption, for their black backsliding. And so uh, the application for us in this regard is that let us not think that Jesus will not likewise judge and purify nations and churches today. Let us not think that being nominal Christians, being a Christian in name only, is going to rescue and save you. Because it won't. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and this and this all in thy name? But Jesus will say to them, to, to the, those on the last day, depart from me, ye who work in iniquity. I never knew you. And so we are taught here by way of application that we must be humbled by what we have studied even today. And we must repent because if the Lord Jesus brought judgment upon those empires which were Christian in name and churches which were Christian in name, he will bring judgment upon us when we become a church that is merely Christian in name or any nation that is merely a nation a Christian nation in name only. 
And let us also learn, dear ones, if mixture of different laws and constitutions brought disunity and weakness and destruction to the Roman Empire, do we think it will not do the same to us as a church if we integrate, if we, if we bring into the church different doctrines, different laws, different constitutions, different practices than what Christ has given to us in his church and that are summarized for us in our, in our terms of communion. One other application. That which seems confusing here becomes, I believe, clear in the light of God's word and by the illumination of God's Holy Spirit. If you had not uh, looked at, considered, or studied this portion of Daniel uh, in the past, it may have seemed as we read the text initially at the beginning that what is this talking about? What is, what are the, the feet and the toes that are mixed with iron and clay? What does it mean? When was it fulfilled? Who are these that are represented by these feet and, and these ten toes? So that may have been very unclear, but as we have worked our way through it in a brief, not in an exhaustive way, we could certainly spend much, much more time on this, but this is an overview, intended to be an overview. But as we spent more time looking at these things, did not more and more light come to your mind as you saw the word of God enlightening his truth as we as you saw history fulfilling the prophecies that God made in his word was there not more understanding was there not more enlightenment as the Holy Spirit was opening your mind to see these things I dare say indeed there was and there shall be Because when we simply take a passage out of its context or take a passage and not interpret it by all that God's word teaches, it's like trying to read a book that's written in a foreign language. We can't make any sense out of it. But when we have the interpretive key of God's holy word, and when we have, as well as it relates to prophecy, the fulfillment of that prophecy in history, then the lights begin to go on and the Holy Spirit begins to, to, to give us that blessed understanding. And so my, my earnest prayer for you is that this series of sermons might make clear the biblical interpretive keys to unlocking these prophecies and might give to you 
a hungering and a thirsting for Christ's truth and his righteousness that you will anticipate, that you will look forward to every opportunity in which the word of God is opened for you to hear and to understand, whether it be a Bible study, whether it be the sermon on the Lord's Day, whether it be your own reading of God's word for yourself or your family worship, that you would not be a stranger to God's word. Because if you are a stranger, don't, expe don't expect light and understanding. But if you familiarize yourself, if it becomes that which you seek to know because you want to know the Lord, not simply a knowledge to add to, uh, uh, to your understanding or your intellectual understanding, but a knowledge that opens the door to your understanding of who God is and what he has done. What he has done in history, what he has done in your life, what he has done by way of creation, what he's done by way of providence, what he has done by way of redemption, what he's done by way of judgment, what he has done by way of glory that he has prepared. So when that becomes your, your goal, to know the Lord God, to know him and all that is true of him, your understanding will be full of delight, of joy, of reverence, and you will want to grow in it because it brings you to know your Savior. It brings you to know the living God. Psalm 36, 9 says, In thy light we shall see light. And so... Only as we are walking in the light of his truth and his righteousness will we see light. When we're not walking in the light of his truth and righteousness, reading the Bible will seem like darkness to us. Our understanding will be darkened. But that's not saying, that's not saying anything about the scripture. That's saying something about us, where our heart is, where our mind is, where our thoughts are, what our, what our life is about. Because he's promised, in thy light shall we see light. And the more light that we have, and the more we are following that light and obeying that light, not simply gaining understanding, but living the light out in our lives, the more light and understanding the Lord gives to us. <clears throat> and so we desire, according to his word, we desire that we might know our Savior and Lord as, as I close with Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer.
our glorious God and Savior, we praise thee and thank thee for illuminating our minds and our understanding even today. Lord, as we have received food, nourish our appetite that we would seek more. And Lord, uh, being a part of God's people to hear the word of God read and preached each Lord's Day would, would send us, Lord, back home to fill our minds and our thoughts with thy word every day. Lord, we pray that thou would help us as thy people to walk in faithfulness to thee, to realize, Lord, that thou hast judged nations and, and churches in the past. And Lord, if we are not faithful, if we walk contrary to thy word, thou will judge us. We ask, Lord, let not our light go out. Continue, Lord, our light to burn in knowledge of the truth and in brotherly love. We ask that thou would hear our prayers. For Jesus' sake, amen.